Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well uh, wherever you are. And um, enjoying, I, uh, we're enjoying anyway here in North Carolina, a little cooler weather as fall approaches. So nice out there. Lots going on as we move closer to the uh, holiday season and away from COVID. It seems like things are um, moving forward better and um, in, in a lot of places. Uh, so thank God for that, that we can move forward. Uh, we just pray, keep praying for uh, each other and keep praying for this country that our leaders will make good decisions. And I pray also that God will remove corruption, especially in high places in our government, and that good people, godly people, will, will be put in places that can make decisions that will be for the good of all of us, for all people. So keep praying for those things. Um, God is good when God steps in. That's what we're talking about. And we need God to step into our government. We need God to step into our country. We need God to step into our communities. But first, we really need God to step into our own lives. Like God come in and work in me, make me better, make me more like Jesus. And that's what we're asking for because when God steps in, a whole lot of good things happen in our life, but miracles happen in our life. Miracles happen when God steps in. Anything the Lord touches turns to gold. And impossible things become very, very possible. And we said already, as we started at the beginning of the Old Testament, that God stepped in lots of different situations. He stepped into creation. He stepped into Noah's life, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Joshua, the prophets, all of those guys. The 400 years of silence, God was working. John the baptizer, God stepped into his life in this New Testament era and began a whole new work. And all of the old was pointing to this movement, beginning with the prophet, like Elijah, John the Baptist, that would come onto the scene and then Jesus would come onto the scene with John and the new covenant, a new commandment, a new order, a new period of grace and mercy would come onto the earth like never before. And uh, that's where we are. And so John comes into the, into the scene and he begins to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come, that that, that, that God has sent his son, repent and turn to the Lord. And Jesus kicks off his ministry. And one of the first things that Jesus does as he begins his ministry is that he's going to call some men to follow him. Just like a teacher would do back in those days. A rabbi going from town to town, learning the people, sharing the good news. He would call certain people that just kind of maybe stuck out with him or looked like good potential candidates, and he would call them to come and walk with him. Now, anybody couldn't do that. You had to be called. The rabbi had to say, he had to invite you to come. And once he did, that was, a, that was an invitation of a lifetime to be able to go and follow a rabbi. Especially this rabbi, Jesus, the son of God, you know, the creator of the universe says, come and follow me. You go, you go follow him because nothing but good things are going to happen when you do that. 
And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that God is faithful. God always keeps his promises and God always comes through. He's always got our back. He will never leave you or forsake you. You might struggle. You might have to, might have to fight through some things. You might have to be tested and pushed to your limits and beyond. But God always comes through. He always answers in the end. Doesn't he? He does. And God is good like that. Well, these uh, first disciples, these early followers, were just ordinary guys, right? Followers. They started as followers. They became disciples or students of Jesus. And then eventually they would become apostles. And that's, that's how the process of following Jesus works. It starts slow. And in their case, it started with a few interactions, right? A little cultivating. Uh, and, then, and then the rabbi would invite them to follow him after he's met them a few times and they've met him a little bit. And then he calls them and they come and follow him to learn of his ways, the ways of this master, this rabbi. And that's how it was for the apostles in the day, these early disciples. A little at a time, Jesus invited them to come and follow him, and they did. And so we began to meet these guys uh, last week, ordinary guys just living ordinary lives like you and me. They had their jobs, they had their families, they had things that they did when Jesus called them. And they left everything to follow Jesus. Like, like you and me, God stepped into their life and brought about this huge change. Their whole purpose and direction of life would change. And a big takeaway from that thought is simply this. If God can use these guys, if God can use them, then God can use you. Because at times, these guys, they operated and they maneuvered and they looked like a finely tuned World Series team. And at other times, they looked like the Three Stooges. And so they're just ordinary people that Jesus called to follow him. And we began, to, we began to meet some of them, Peter and Andrew. These are brothers that Jesus called to become apostles uh, in um, John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, Philip and his friend Nathaniel came and followed Jesus and they would become apostles as well. These guys had this early encounter with Jesus, Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel, where Jesus would would have this encounter with them, but not yet call them to follow him officially as apostles or as uh, disciples yet. Um, and then there's this like first call of these disciples, which was kind of more of a, an official call in Matthew 4 and Mark chapter 1. And there in those verses, we are also introduced to two other uh, brothers, and they are James and John. And so these six are these early followers of Jesus that we know the most about because he called them early and we saw where they, what they left to come and follow Jesus. And we're introduced to these two. These two are uh, the sons of Zebedee. They are, uh, in other words, sons of thunder. Jesus gave them the nickname for um, reasons we talked about last week. They're brothers. And then... And then after these two come on board, there's a second call. 
We learn about a second call in Luke chapter 5, and we read about that last week. It was a day of fishing with the apostles after a day of teaching. Jesus asked Peter to push off a little while uh, off the shore and into the deep and drop the nets. Peter says, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a thing, but because you say so, and he does it, and there's this miraculous catch of fish. In fact, the boat is full. They bring another boat over. They fill that boat, and both boats are so full of fish that the boats begin to sink. The boats are sinking. People are amazed, and Peter is ashamed that he doubted Jesus at all. Jesus then says, hey, guys, look, enjoy the fish and chips, but from now on, you are going to fish for men. And so these guys officially are called by Jesus to come and walk with him, to walk away from their nets, to walk away from their boat, from their fish, from their fathers, and from their family. Walk away from it all and follow Jesus and fish for men. The rabbi, follow the master. Just walk with the Messiah. Walk with this rabbi and have a new purpose in your life. That's what they needed, and that's what you and I needed. And here's what they were holding on to in part. They were holding on to a lot of things, but in part they were holding on to this promise that Jesus made in Mark 10 later on when he said, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers, sister or mother, or father or children, or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so they had this great promise that if they sacrificed everything to follow Jesus, that they would be blessed beyond what they gave up. And that is true for you and me today as well. That when we give our lives to Christ and we say, Jesus, we're all in with you and we follow you completely, your life will be better off. It will be more blessed and you will go on more adventures with God that have purpose and meaning than you ever would without him. Trust me on that. It's true. You will. So these first six, right? Peter and Andrew, uh, Philip and Nathaniel, James and John. Those six... We have a little bit more information because they're the early ones that Jesus called. Three of them become part of his inner circle. Those, those three that go with Jesus to places that the others don't, right? And they are Peter, James, and John. Those three, part of this inner circle of Jesus, his closer friends. That's really important for us to understand. Two of them were disciples of John the Baptist when Jesus came on the scene, John said, look, the Lamb of God. And they left John, Andrew and Philip, left John and went and followed Jesus, became his disciples. And John pushed them out of the nest and said, yeah, of course, go. You need to go follow him. He is the Messiah. And one of them, the last one of the six, was under a fig tree, right? probably pouring his heart out to God, probably seeking God and that, that he would send the Messiah, he would send the Christ. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He said, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel then followed Jesus. And that is a interesting thought I want to spend one second on. That is under the fig tree. Now, we don't know about this fig tree or where this fig tree was or 
or, or what was going on in, in the fig tree at all. Maybe this fig tree was at the home of Nathaniel. Maybe, you know, Nathaniel had a garden outside his home and in that garden he had a tree over in the corner and he would go over there in the corner under that tree and he would spend time crying out to God, praying to God, just thinking about God, meditating on the word of God. He knew the word of God. He knew that the Christ was coming and he knew that when Jesus said, I saw you on the fig tree, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. So he was waiting and anticipating and probably crying out to God for it. He was a spiritual guy. Maybe the fig tree was just off in some field like this that, that he would take a journey to somewhere out there in the country and he'd walk over to that fig tree once in a while, once a week or whatever, and he'd just spend time pouring out his heart there to God. Wherever this fig tree was, it is most certain that it was a quiet place of peace and rest and probably, no doubt, a place of prayer where Nathaniel would go away and just quietly spend time with God. Jesus said, I saw you. That's an important thought right there because you know what? A lot of times we just think we're living on this earth and just going through the motions and we're doing our daily grind and we're taking care of our kids and we're going to work every day and and we feel almost invisible, like we're just part of a, a large number of people who are just like mechanically going through the motions of life. But Jesus sees you. Like he sees you as a person, as an individual. Yeah, you got all your routine and your habits and the things that you do. But he sees you, a person created in his image, just like he saw Nathaniel. He saw him. The divine eye of God is watching. And he sees you, everything you're doing. And he sees me and all that I'm doing, good or bad, he sees it all. And what we should want more than anything, that as God sees us, what he sees us doing are things that matter. Things that are important. Things that are good and right and godly. Not that... God would see us ever do anything that would be questionable. Because when we do those things, he sees that too. And we're not very pleasing to God when we do ugly things. Or we do things that are contrary to what his word and what his will would be for our life. And so the question really is, in your quiet place of prayer, God sees you. Like when you go to wherever it is that you go, your, your fig tree, you're under the fig tree, you go there wherever it is in your house, your room, maybe in the hills, maybe in the woods, maybe wherever. God sees you. I hope, I hope we have a quiet place. I hope we have a place that we would consider our fig tree that we go off to and spend time there. Well, once again, in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, we're going to meet another apostle. And here's how it goes. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Spends a lot of time around Sea of Galilee. In fact, most of his apostles, 11 of them, come from around Sea of Galilee. That's why 
we see Jesus call them. He spent most of his childhood, all the way to his uh, upper years, when he's 27 to 28 years old, when he begins to call these guys, he starts his public ministry. They're all from that area where he grew up. He probably maybe saw them growing up. I don't know. Maybe went to school together. I don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is he's walking around the Sea of Galilee and he's picking off guys. He's calling them to follow him. Walking by the lake, there's a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up, and he followed him. So we're going to meet a guy, and his name is Levi, or Matthew. Matthew is going to be his official name. His name is Levi, son of Alphaeus. He's a tax collector in Capernaum. In other words, he's a crook. He's a crook. He, he's a, uh, <laughs> he, he, first of all, he's a crook, which is totally like not cool because he's a Jew working for the Romans, taxing the Jews. So he's collecting money from his own people to give to the Romans and he's keeping his junk as well. And so he's uh, one of these corrupt politicians that we pray will be removed from office and cast wherever. But he's one of these guys. He's ripping off his own people. So he's hated by the Jews. Matthew or Levi, hated by the Jews because of his work with the Romans and because he's ripping off his own people, his own very people. He's an educated guy. He's slick with money. This is not a fisherman. This is a tax collector. He is, he's got some like education. He's smart. He is also a gospel writer. And in his little tax booth, there he sits when Jesus calls him. And I think I have a picture of Matthew in his little tax booth. This is, okay. This is somebody kind of like Matthew. In his little tax booth, with his little handout saying, pay your taxes. And the, and the weird thing is he could set that tax booth up anywhere he went and tax people for crossing a bridge or going across the street or using this or using that. He could tax people for whatever he want. And he had the full force of the Roman government and, and military behind him to enforce his taxations because a lot of the money went to Rome and they loved having the money from all their little tax collectors come in. But he, he pocketed another chunk of it. So he's living rich. He's collecting taxes. And he's, he's ripping off his own people. Matthew, though, is the very last. He's the seventh one. He's the last one that we have a record of, of an early encounter with Jesus. When Jesus actually calls them to follow. Only seven of the apostles. The other five we don't have that kind of early encounter with. And so one might ask, how do we know that the other five then are legitimate apostles of Jesus? If there is no early encounter of that even happening, how do we know this? I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. And I'm glad you asked probably one that you've never asked before, but maybe because of today you are saying, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. How, how do we know that the other five are? Well, let me tell you how in the list of the 12 apostles, which we have in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in Acts chapter one, where Jesus called them to be apostles, the 12, 
and we have it actually listed the 12 apostles. So we have all 12 of their names. And let me read for you from Mark chapter 3, one of those lists when Jesus actually called them apostles. Here we go. Jesus went up to the mountains and he called to him those that he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So that's their purpose. This is why he's calling them to be with him and that one day he would send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So they would have, these 12 would have special authority to have power over supernatural things. These are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave Bojernus, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, that's Peter's brother. We got Philip and Bartholomew. We got Matthew. We got Thomas, the son of Alphaeus. We got Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we have, in a number of places, a list of the 12 from the lips of Jesus recorded in the Gospels by the Gospel writers. So we know who the 12 are. There's no doubt about who they are. Some of them, these five, we just don't have that early encounter with. It is documented in a number of places who exactly these 12 are. So let's meet the next one. His name is Thomas. So these last five, we're going to move through pretty quickly because there's just not a lot of information. Thomas, also called Didymus, which means twin. So Thomas probably had a twin brother or a twin sister. This is Doubting Thomas, the pessimist. This is the one who, when everyone said, hey, Jesus is alive, he rose from the dead. This is the one who said, hell, unless I stick my fingers in his side and in his, in his nail holes, I will not believe. And then who, uh, later, once he did stick his fingers in Jesus' side and, and said, my Lord and my God. So Doubting Thomas. Now, here's the cool thing about Thomas is that he's courageous and a doubter. I don't, I don't even know how those two things go together. A courageous doubter. Is that possible? I guess, I guess it's possible. You could be a doubter and still have courage. So that's him. Because here's what happened. In John 11, when Lazarus died and Jesus kind of delayed going back to where Lazarus was because there was a lot of turmoil. Jesus was wanted. They wanted to arrest him and kill him then. Jesus delayed his going because of the fear uh, for Jesus's life. Thomas, Thomas spoke up and he's the one who said, let us also go to where Lazarus is that we may die with him. Thomas was ready to die with Jesus. He was ready to lay down his life with, with Jesus. So he, had a, he showed a lot of courage and he showed a lot of loyalty in that. He's also the one that said, how will we know the way to Jesus? And Jesus then said, Thomas, yo, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through the Son. So it's believed then that Thomas, this Thomas, ended up in Persia 
and in India where he served God spreading the gospel. Then we have James, another James. Remember John and James, and we have this James. He's called the lesser, James the lesser, or James the little. Maybe because posture-wise he was smaller than the other James. They said James the greater, bigger, James the lesser, small. We don't know for sure if that's it, or simply because we just don't have a whole lot of information about this James. We have less information, so he is James the lesser. We don't know. He is, though, the son of Alphaeus, which is interesting because Matthew, we just talked about a little bit ago, Matthew's father's name was also Alphaeus. So maybe these two are brothers. We have no proof of that, but possibly they are. We don't know. He has a mother named Mary, and he has a brother by the name of Joseph. Um, this James is one of the most obscure apostles uh, that we know, but we know that he is one because because he's listed in the Jesus's call of the 12 and the list of the 12. And also because he is one that is in the upper room after the ascension uh, when Jesus appears to the apostles. Uh, there are a number of Jameses in the scripture. If you read about, you know, you're reading through the gospels, you're reading through the book of Acts, you come across James. There's like five different James. There's James, the brother of Jesus. There's James, the brother of John. There's James, the, the younger. There's James, um, the lesser. There's different Jameses. And so sometimes when you're reading about James, it's hard to figure out, okay, what James is this? It takes a little bit of work to figure out what James it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, when, when Paul was writing about the appearances of Jesus to the different people, he said this, then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles, and it is believed that this is the James that Jesus appeared to, and then to all of the apostles. Our next, our next apostle's name is Simon. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. That's how he's known as Simon the Zealot. Okay, he is a, possibly and most likely a political activist, probably fighting for Jewish independence against whatever conquering uh, nation was, was over them at the time. In this case, it's the Romans. Most likely, he is full of courage. He is full of zeal. He is full of passion. He's the guy standing on the corners with a picket sign saying, free the Jews, free the Jews, free the Jews. Or, Justice for the Jews. You know, something like that. Uh, he's another mystery apostle. His name, though, is listed in the Gospels, just like James. Uh, where all of the apostles are listed and named, like we talked about a minute ago. He is present in the upper room after the ascension as well. He is listed there. And so we know that this Simon, the zealot, is part of the apostles. There are two Simons. Remember, there's two Simons. There's Simon, whose name is changed to Peter, Simon Peter. And then there's Simon, the zealot. Our next apostle's name is Thaddeus. Thaddeus, he is uh, number 11 on our list. His name is also Jude, or even Judas, or Labaius. Labaius, he is also called by that name, is also. Not Judas Iscariot, that's the other Judas. This is Judas, uh, or Thaddeus, or Jude, or Judas, the son of James. Very little is known about him. He's the one that asked Jesus once, Lord, are you going to reveal yourself to the world? Are you going to tell the world who you are? It's also then believed that this Thaddeus took the gospel north of the promised land to what is now known as Turkey. 
So he took it up to the north. James the Less, Simon the Zealot, and Thaddeus, three of the least known apostles that there are. But we know that they are apostles. And the last apostle that we're going to mention in number 12 is everyone's favorite. He goes by the name of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. The name Iscariot, you wondered, okay, what does that mean? Judas Iscariot. Is that his middle name, last name, or is that some description about him? It is a description about it. It's where he is from. It has to do with him being from the town of Cariath. Uh, he is a man from Cariath. Uh, and, and Cariath is a city in Judea. So this is the only apostle that is not from Galilee. He is from the southern part of Judea. Judas Iscariot, not from Galilee at all. In John 12, he is the one that is in charge of the money bag, and it says he is a thief. John chapter 12, Judas Iscariot. There isn't a whole lot of good said about Judas Iscariot. He is a betrayer. He is the one that betrayed, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Money hungry, betrayer for 30 pieces of silver with a kiss of betrayal that then led to the kiss of death, his own death, and also the death of Jesus as well. About Judas, Jesus said these words. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. This is the one who is the devil. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Jesus chose 12 and one of them is going to go to the left. One of them is going to go crazy. One of them is never going to take. He's never going to become one of the 12 committed and carry out the mission to the world. He's going to go off on his own because of his own heart. Of the 12, Judas was a lost soul who eventually took his own life. And that is a side note. A side note for that is this, that, that teaches us this simple truth. And that is this, not everyone is reachable. Some people are totally bent on evil. There are some people out there that we are going to share our lives with, share uh, the truth with, and they are never going to come to Jesus because they are too stuck on themselves. They are too stuck on what they want. It's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home, leave that town, and shake the dust from your feet. Jesus went on to say in that passage, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will for that town. That is some heavy duty stuff. Like Jesus knows that there are going to be people in this world who are not going to accept the truth of who he is. The truth is either going to draw them in or it's going to push them away. But there are going to be people who are going to be pushed away. And when Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet, he's saying, move on. Stop hanging on to people who have abandoned the ship. Move on. There are other souls that are waiting to be, to, for the gospel to come to their ears, for them to have a chance. Don't waste your time on people who have walked away. 
or don't want anything to do with Jesus. The 12. Not everyone is reachable. The early disciples, named apostles, sent into the world, each of them uniquely different, each of them with their own interests, their own abilities, and their own training. So let me ask you a question. How do we know who the 12 are? Or how do we remember the 12? Like if somebody came up to you and said, hey, can you name the 12 apostles? Could you do it? I'm, 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 I'm guessing most of us could get 10 of them. But I think there's a few that we will struggle with when somebody, if somebody asks us to name the 12 apostles, which is something we should be able to do, right? These are the 12 apostles, right? The whole church is built on these guys. So let me give you a real quick way of possibly remembering the 12. This is like an eye test. Can you say these letters? Okay, let's start with the first line. P-A-P, J-N-J, M-T-J, S-T-J. Can you see that with one eye? Can you see? How about the other eye? Okay. So remember these letters. I'm going to put them into words. And these are 12 letters. Here we go. Are you ready? So here's a statement for you. If you can remember this statement, you can probably remember the apostles. Here we go. It might be easier just to remember their names than it is to remember this statement. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But this kind of has a little ring to it. So think about it. Preach, apostles, preach. Jews need Jesus. Men trust Jesus. Sisters trust Jesus. Jesus. So just check it out. Preach apostles, preach. Somebody says, hey, name the apostles, 12 apostles. Okay, let me think about this. Preach apostles, preach. Jews need Jesus. Men trust Jesus. Sisters trust Jesus. So let's see what that means. Here we go. Are you ready? Let's see if we can do it. P-A-P. Peter, Andrew, and Philip. J-N-J. We got James, Nathaniel, and John. We got M-T-J. We got Matthew, Thomas, and James the Lesser. We got STJ, that's Simon, Thaddeus, and Judas Iscariot. So there are the 12. Just remember that. Preach, apostles, preach. Jews need Jesus. Men trust Jesus. Sisters trust Jesus. If you can remember that, you could probably name the 12 apostles. Kind of like uh, uh, an acronym I put together a long time ago, to remember the 12 tribes of Judah. And it goes like this, Slim, J, Naz, B, Gred, the 12 tribes of Judah. Remember the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes. Isn't that interesting? Old Testament, 12 tribes, Slim, J, Naz, B, Gred. New Testament, um, we have the 12 apostles. And so that's an easy way for you, possibly an easier way for you to remember who they are. So some interesting things to note and then some takeaways and we're done here for today. Interesting thing to know. First of all, Peter and John. Remember Peter and John. The women come back. The tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. The gardener or the angel uh, spoke to them. They go back and they tell the apostles that the tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. He's rose from the dead. And Peter and John go taken off out of the room. They run into the tomb. Peter's on ahead. He's beating John in a race. And John is trucking. John's not giving up. John passes Peter and John gets to the tomb first. It's where we get the term petered out. Peter petered out, right? That's where it came from, right? Isn't it? I think that's where it came from. It seems like that would be the best place for it to come from. So anyhow, Peter and John, two apostles, run to the tomb to see Jesus. Another interesting thing to note, of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, two of them are apostles and two of them are not. Matthew is, Mark is not, Luke is not, John is. So two are gospel writers are apostles, two of them are not. To be an apostle, this is important, 
to be an apostle. In Acts chapter 1, what we learn when they replace Judas with Matthias is there's two qualifications for becoming an apostle. Number one qualification, you had to be a part of Jesus's movement on the earth from the time of John the Baptist all the way to the ascension. You had to be a part of his life and ministry. Secondly, you had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. You had to see Jesus alive afterwards. And so for those two reasons, there are no modern day apostles. Anybody who claims to be apostle today is it's phony. It's just not true. You cannot be an apostle today. There's no way. Now, there might be some lesser form of apostle that people call themselves by, but it's not true. To be an apostle, you had to live back then. You had to see it firsthand. With that said, there are other apostles in the first century. Paul, later on, Saul is going to become an apostle. Barnabas is going to become an apostle. And there's some others that become apostles as well. But they lived during that time. They were a part of that. They saw those things. Not in our day. There are no apostles. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, check this out. The scripture says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Jesus is God's number one apostle, Jesus. He is the one who left heaven and was sent to earth, which is what an apostle is sent to carry out the gospel or to share the gospel with the world. Jesus is sent by God. Jesus chooses 12 and he sends them out into the world. Jesus is the number one apostle. In addition to the 12, here's another interesting note. In addition to the 12, there are some others who follow the apostles around. Some of them are family members. Some of them are women. So check this out, Acts chapter 1. This is our listing in Acts 1. We read Mark 1 earlier. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So it's not close. And when they arrived, they went up to they went upstairs to the room where they were all where they were staying, which is this like upper room where they're staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, son of Zealot, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. So notice here, this is very interesting. If you count them, there's only 11. This is after the, the ascension. This is after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. So there's only 11 because Judas Iscariot is not mentioned because he's dead. He's hanging in a tree somewhere because he refused, he refused to believe and to give himself fully to Jesus. And the shame and the guilt ate him up, which is what sin, shame, and guilt will do to people. It will eat you up. And the only freedom from that is found in a relationship with Jesus. But verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. That's important. Along with the women, group of women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's there, and his brothers. Did you see that? And his brothers. Yeah, Jesus has a mother named Mary, a father named Joseph, and he has brothers. He's got brothers that are hanging out. Remember at the beginning, earlier in his ministry, they didn't believe him. 
They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Now they're walking with the apostles and they seem to be believers, but he has some brothers. If you don't believe that, check this out. Matthew 13, when Jesus had finished these, say, uh, these parables, he moved on from there and coming to his hometown, which is Capernaum or up around the Sea of Galilee, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. And check it out. Isn't this, this is what they're saying. Hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? Joseph, the carpenter, we all know him. He lives here. It's his son. Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, different ones than the apostles, aren't all his sisters with us? Jesus has brothers and he has sisters. Where did this man, where, where then did this man get all these things? And look at this. And they took offense at Jesus. They took offense at Jesus. So Jesus has got brothers, he's got sisters, and he's offending people. Oh, Jesus offended people? I, I, thought, I thought Jesus was this really nice guy who walked around saying everybody's wonderful, everybody's loved, everybody gets to go to heaven, and offended no one. It turns out, that that's not the mission of Jesus at all. It turns out that Jesus offended people by his teaching, by saying sin has separated you from God. And if you don't repent and turn to God, you are going to die in your sins and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And that offends people. Turns out that when you tell the truth, when you tell people that they need a relationship with Jesus or they're going to die in their sin and their sin has separated them from God the Father and only Jesus can forgive that and only his blood can cover your sin and you need Jesus in your life, it turns out people get offended at that. They don't want to be called a sinner. They took offense at him. Another thing of interest, 11 of the 12 are from Galilee. Only Judas Iscariot was not. Of the 12 that Jesus chose, he chose 12. Remember though, he had those three tightly knit guys, Peter, James, and John, that, that were like his inner circle. You need that, I need that, we need that. That's an interesting thing to note. Jesus knew he needed that. He knew they needed that. He exemplified that. We should do that. Jesus chose two people who were bitter rivals with each other. Think about it. Simon the Zealot, who was anti-Rome, against Rome, free the Jews, quit taxing us, we love the Jews, leave us alone. And then he chose Matthew, who's a publican, a tax collector, who is working for the Romans and now is a follower. Tell me, in Jerusalem and around the dinner table, there weren't fireworks with these two guys going at it. They did not like each other, they were rivals. And Jesus chose them to come and follow him. Isn't that crazy. One more thing to note, Jesus chose Judas, the betrayer. He, betray he chose a betrayer to become one of the 12. He also chose a denier, one that would deny him. He also chose a doubter. He also chose a bunch of smelly men. And later he would add a murderer by the name of Saul. Look, if you were looking for people who would take your message of the kingdom of God to the world, you would not choose these guys. You would not choose these guys. 
This is not who you would choose. If you looked at the statistics, your success rate with this group would be next to nothing. Low, very low success rate in what you're about to do. Lots of more interesting things about these guys, but let me, let me just share some takeaways real quick. Here you go, and takeaway number one about the apostles is this. These are ordinary guys just like you and me who became best of friends with that common, with a common bond, with a common commitment, with a common mission, and with a common purpose. <clears throat> when you find your purpose in Jesus, and you gather together with other people who have found their purpose in Jesus, even though your purposes might be aimed in different directions, your ultimate purpose is bringing people to Jesus and helping them be forgiven of their sin that they might have life for eternal life ever. When you find that purpose and you unite with other people who have that purpose, amazing things will happen. These guys are ordinary guys from different walks of life, mostly from the area of Galilee, like the fishing villages, probably maybe didn't know each other that well prior to this. Maybe they knew each other, we don't know. But these are just ordinary guys who came together. Now, my mother's name uh, is Bertha, Bertha, Bertha. And Bertha had a lot of sayings, but one of them she would say, and usually she would point at me when she'd say it, and it was not always positive. It wasn't always a positive thing, especially for me. But she would say this phrase, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> I love that, right? Uh, that could go either way, right? If you, you're hanging around good people, then, then you're going to encourage each other to do good things, right? If you're hanging around bad people, you're probably going to get each other into trouble. And, and that's where I was when she would say this, you know, in high school. I uh, was hanging around, flying around, flocking around uh, with, be careful how you say that, flocking around with, um, with not so good people doing things you shouldn't do, right? You, you want to you get into drugs, you're going to find a flock who does that. You want to get into athletics, you, you can find a flock of people who do that. So be careful who you are flocking with, who you're hanging out with. When you have the same mindset as other people, like especially in our purpose, in our, in our desire to serve God, when you hang around with that flock of people that, that love the Lord, want to serve God, want to live honorable lives for the Lord to bring him honor and glory, the power that is there, that flock is a powerful flock. And that flock should 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 meet as often as possible under a fig tree, perhaps, to pray and to study and to work, to serve God with all of our hearts. These were ordinary guys. Number two, when God called them, they were all in 100% heart, mind, soul, strength. They were all in. Maybe not Judas Iscariot, okay, we know that, but the rest of them were fully committed to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And they did, even though he never said where we were going. Come follow me. Okay, I'm in. Where are we going? No, no. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that part. You just follow me and we're going to go. We're going to go everywhere. We're going to go all over the place. Just come follow me. Stick with me. And they did. They trusted Jesus with everything in them. Fully committed. There's a worship song that I heard this week. It said, beautifully 
in over my head. Great line. I'm beautifully in over my head. That's awesome. When you are beautifully in, all in, over your head in God, and you don't even know what's next or where you're going, that is a beautiful place to be. Number three, they grew to become true students of Jesus. It was a process and it took some time, right? It took some time, just like you and me, my salvation process took some time. God put people in my life. I started hearing the word of God. I started being a part of worship and little by little, God drew me in and I realized my eyes were open to the fact of who he is and how much I needed him in my life. And then it's just been a process ever since then to this very day. And it will be a process with you and it will be a process with anyone that you try to reach for God. It's gonna take some time. It's a process. I coach middle school softball. We just got done and it's frustrating at times because you don't win all your games, you know, and sometimes you get beat really badly. But, but you know, you got a group of girls that you have for a couple of years. And, and right now, I've got a good group of eighth graders and I wish I could have them for one more year because I think next year we could really dominate. But they'd be ninth graders and that wouldn't be fair to middle school, right? So they're going to move on and go on and do whatever they're going to do. But it's been a process we, when we started, we were not very good at all, but they've gotten better and better and better. And now we're just getting to where they're individually, they're playing better and collectively they're playing like a team and we're hitting the ball and running bases and we're actually doing, like we're actually playing a legitimate competition now. It's not just, you know, hopefully we get the ball over to first base or hopefully we make that catch or, you know, now it's, you know, I'm pretty much confident that if it goes up, we're going to catch it. You know, it takes time to get, it's a process, right? If you coach at all, especially in the middle school uh, at a level, it's, it's, it's a process. If I had one more year, it would be great. But these guys, they grew to become true students. They started as followers, students, pupils, disciples. They became learners. And then Jesus made it official and he called them to be apostles, which would be one who would be sent out to share the message with others, like to mentor others to become followers of Jesus as well. And, 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 and so the encouragement is keep growing in Jesus. Keep growing in your relationship with Jesus. Keep becoming a student, a follower, one who is sent because you are sent. The Great Commission sends all of us to go and share the gospel with the world. Keep doing this. Radical change has to happen. We studied that this last Wednesday in our Bible study. Radical change, radical change only can take place if we're putting ourselves in the right place. If you want to change, to become more like Jesus, you have got to make a radical decision to put yourself in a place to be changed by God. And there's four little things that need to happen. One, the study of God's word, not just on Sunday as we dig into the word like we are right now, but you gotta do that yourself throughout the week with other people and, and alone. You gotta study the word, you gotta worship, you gotta be together with other people to worship God, to be inspired as you worship with other people, the God of all creation. There's gotta be service. You've gotta be serving God. You can't just be living your own life, doing your own thing. You gotta pick a time, make a decision that you're gonna go serve in a soup kitchen. You're gonna go meet the needs of the homeless. You're gonna go do something for the kingdom of God. Go and serve. And the last thing is fellowship. When you're fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters, you're talking about the things of God and you're encouraging each other and praying for one another. Radical change happens when those four things are happening in your life. And if you choose not to let those things be a part of your life, then you do not want to be radically changed. 
You might say you do, but you really don't. If you want radical change of God to happen in your life, then do the things that are going to bring about radical change in your life. That's all there is to it. You can't go join the Olympics and not train for the Olympics. You will not make the team. And if you even get through, you're going to get crushed. Ain't going to happen. You have to train. You want to reach this goal? You want to be radically changed by Jesus? Then you got to put some things into your life. Radical change. That's what they do. They grew to become students, true students, true students of Jesus. Number four, they carried the message to the next generation. That's what they did. They just carried it. Philip brought Nathaniel. Andrew brought Peter. As soon as these guys meet Jesus, they start bringing people to Jesus. And it only escalated from there. It got more and more intense to thousands and thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Jesus taught them and he gave them personal experience. And then he passed the baton of faith onto them. And he said, run with it. Take this baton of faith and go and tell the world. Go and tell other people. Go. Go. And here you and I are today because of the 12 because of those 12 we are here today talking about God and so the question is who are you passing the baton to who are you passing it on to right it ought to definitely be your own kids. You got to start there. You should be passing the baton to your own kids. You should be passing the baton on to your own family. You should be passing on to your friends, your coworkers, anyone around you that God has put in your world. You should be passing the baton of faith on. And the baton of faith is very simply like this. It isn't one you give it away and you don't have it no more and it's only one. It's not like that at all. It's more like the feeding of the 5,000. You know, they brought those baskets out and they were full and they kept feeding thousands of people. And when they're done, they had 12 basketfuls left. So it just keeps multiplying. You give it away and they got it now and so do you. And you give it away again and they got one now and so do you. And everybody keeps giving it away and you still keep yours because you still got to keep passing it. Just like they did. That's what they did. They carried the message of the gospel of Jesus to the next generation. I hope, I hope we're doing that. If we don't, who will? If you don't, who will? We need to. We must. The apostles, number five, were faithful to death. This is the last thing right here. Faithful to death. Some were crucified. Some were beheaded. Some were boiled. Boiled. Some were stoned. Thaddeus, it's believed, was clubbed to death with a, with a club. In Acts chapter 12, the only recorded death of an apostle, James, the son, or not the son, but the brother of John, James and John, was put to death by a sword. Herod brought that about. And we know in the Bible, Stephen, who was a deacon or a, a servant of God's, he was stoned to death by rock, with rocks, y'all. In Hebrew 11, some faced jeers, some flogging, some were chained. Some were cut in half, sawed in two. Some were burned at the stake. They were persecuted, they were mistreated, and they were destitute. The world was not worthy of these people. You know, when it comes to your faith, when it comes to my faith, is the world worthy of us and our faith in God? Could this be said of us? That we love God so much that we are not even a part of this world. We look nothing like it. Nothing. 
in the way we live and our attitude and our heart and the things we do and our purpose and our mission in life is so not like this world, like these people. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says this, all of these that we just mentioned, these were living by faith when they died. Faithful unto death. What a powerful example they are to us. Oh, that you and I would just have a sliver, just a thimble full of their faith and their devotion and their commitment and their action. Just a little. If we just had a little of that, we could change the world like they did. Those early disciples, mighty men of God, who one step at a time grew in their faith and their trust in Jesus. They did incredible things. They did miraculous work and they passed the message of hope in Jesus to you and to me today. We are living examples of their commitment and faith. We're here because of them. Who's gonna be here because of you? Who's gonna be walking toward Jesus, members of the kingdom of God because of your faith? By their suffering and by their death and by their sacrifice, we are here this day when God stepped in, their lives were changed forever. They were radically changed by Jesus and for the good of the kingdom of God. And you and I, we are beneficiaries of their lives. Don't settle for small. Don't settle for small. Find your fig tree. Spend time in your fig tree and go do something big. Go do something that matters for the kingdom of God like these 12 did for you and me. May God bless you. May God lead you. May, may radical things happen in your life because you catch on fire for God and his spirit just ignites this passion to do something incredible as we look out into our evil world with so much negative, so much darkness. There are so many opportunities for us to go and be the light of Jesus to a dark world. I hope all of us, me included, will begin. We'll go out and just do something. Just get moving. God will direct every step. God bless you guys. Have a great week.